Hello, podcasters. This is Mr. Stroud's History Class. And if you listen to the introduction podcast, then you know that what we're going to do is we're going to do U.S. history in a chronological order. And last time I mentioned in something about having a pet peeve, and I'm sure you have pet peeves also, about how people say, especially politicians, that unless you are a Native American, you came from somewhere else. Well, that's one of my pet peeves. Everyone came from somewhere else. And in the last podcast, as I told you that first part of U.S. history started about 38,000 years ago. And so that's where I'm going to start, with the first people to come to America. And these were people that are called by archaeologists the Paleo-Americans, the Paleo-Americans. And they were given that term, that name, because they came during the Ice Age, the Pleistocene period, and they came from Northeast Asia. Now, this took thousands of years. And they come up through Northeast Asia, they come down through Siberia, and they come across what was then called the Barren Strait. The Barren Strait was what is also called the land bridge, and it's not a bridge that was so narrow you would have to worry about falling off. It was about 57 miles wide. And the way the land bridge came about was the glaciers in the Ice Age took water out of the ocean, and since the ocean level of water is constant, it went down and it formed a bridge. The bridge lasted about 10,000 years, and that's how they came across. Over thousands of years, they moved down. They come down into Texas, go down into Mexico, and the oldest site that's been found is in Texas. And it was a hearth of charred wood, and it was carbon-14 dated, and that was about, oh, 30-something thousand years ago. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about the Paleo-Americans. They were a little bit different from us. They were long-headed. And they immediately thought of the Coneheads. Saturday Night Live was live at that time with some of the classics, and they thought about the Coneheads. That's not how long-headed they were. They also had curved, flat leg bones. Now, that's what I used to tell my seventh graders like that. Because Ten years ago, last one summer, then you come back the next summer, and it was Texas history. And all you had to do was have eight hours of lecture every day. Half a day on Saturday, and you do it for two weeks. Could not wait to get there. We were going to go in chronological order. And the first lecture was on the Paleo-Americans and then the American Indians that were in Texas. And the lady that was teaching that course was the head of the archaeology department at the University of Texas. And so she told basically what I've told you. Any questions? I'm always afraid of asking that infamous, stupid, dumb question. But I wanted an answer. And so I asked the lady, has she read the description of Paleo-Americans in the Star of the history. And she smiled and nodded her head and said, yes, she had. That's where I got the uh, information that they were long-headed, curved, flat leg bones. And I asked her, what did they look like? Because she'd seen skeletal remains, and she said, basically, they looked just like we did. They must have been tough, very courageous because of what their food supply was and all of that. About 38,000 years ago, and the weapons that they had was one called the 
the Addle Addle. Now, that's the way I pronounce it, the Addle Addle. And the reason I pronounce it that way, and I'm sure it's incorrect, is because it's spelled A-T-A-T-L. We were in a class museum there, and I stopped there years ago, and I went in there, and they had one of those Addle Addles that you could go out in the back and try out, and you kind of throw it like a shot putt. It was very accurate points that they had were called the Clovis. And the Clovis has got that name simply because of Cowboy Mexico. And it was different than most of the arrowheads because it was fluted. Good arrowhead. And the type of animals that they were hunting were giant buffalo. That was one. And I always like to throw in here and ask my podcasters, have you ever seen a buffalo? Now, if you're driving, I want you to keep both hands on the wheel, and you can just kind of slightly nod, or you can just say, yes, yes, you have. Or if you haven't, you keep your hands on your wheel, the steering wheel, and you just kind of shake your head, no, no. Now, I don't mean in a picture. I mean standing next to one. Well, not real close, but well, I have. Years ago, I was with my brother-in-law. We were coming back from Galveston, and we saw these signs. Beer drinking buffalo, five miles ahead. Beer drinking buffalo, three miles ahead. Beer drinking buffalo, here. Well, we had never seen a buffalo drink beer, so we thought we would stop and take a look. And we went into the store, and the lady said it was $5 each, which was kind of expensive, but after all, how many chances does one get to see a buffalo drink beer? And we went out back, and there was this buffalo bull in a little corral, and there was a bucket of beer there, and we waited, and that buffalo never did walk over on foot or even on a horse after they got horses. And having to hunt those things, it was dangerous. But back when Paleo was hunting these buffalo, they were twice the size of the buffalo today. Giant, giant buffalo. And they hunted them with the adults. Sometimes they would dig holes for them to fall in. And that was their main source, their main source of food. Now, there weren't that very many paleo. There are only about 36 sites in the entire United States. And when I say 36 sites, what I mean is that where archaeologists find sites that they can carbon-14 date that would go back to the date of the Paleo-Americans, there's only about 36 in all the United States. There just were not many Paleos, people. If there'd been a lot more of them, we'd have a lot more sites. Only about 36 of them. 500 B.C., Paleo vanished. Gone with the wind, as they say. At least that's what we think. They disappeared. And so one or two things had to happen to them. Any of y'all into detectives? One is, this is about the time that the Indians we call the Native Americans, they started coming in. And they could have killed Paleo, wiped them out. They were much more advanced than they were. Now, why would they have done that? There weren't many people here. The food supply was good. As long as you didn't scare the buffalo and running that way, And it wasn't the abundance of food supply, it was the availability of it. And so they may have killed Paleo, may have wiped them out. But there's another answer too. They may have seen that the 
Indian coming in later was much more advanced, and they may have assimilated with them and taken on the characteristics of the American Indian, and so we don't know when we find a site of Paleo. Now, the thing about the Paleo-Americans is simply they were here first. They came first. They came as sort of an invader like everybody did, and they were here about 38,000 years ago. And then the American Indian comes. Now, when I talked to the American Indian more recently, I wanted to be politically correct, so I simply called them Native American Indians. That way I've touched all the right bases. Now, the Indians I'm going to tell you about and get started with this podcast today are some of the tribes that were in Texas. I'm not going to do all the tribes. I have them to kind of represent what the Indians and basically the prehistoric period, which is before Columbus in 1492. And I'm going to talk, start with the ones that were the least advanced in Texas. I'm going to tell you a little bit about them, and then that will probably take care of today's podcast, and then we'll do one on the next tribe in a minute. I am bilingual. I speak fluent East Texan and English as a second language. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is because when I pronounce words, I'm Texan. That's just the way I do it. And so I'm going to give you the names of the tribes. And then I'm going to tell you again which one we're going to do today. And what would be the correct pronunciation of these tribes? Spanish. You Spanish speakers, you can pronounce the names of the tribes correctly. And the reason is this. At one time, we'll say a conquistador was traveling in Texas, and they came up on a tribe. They came up on Indians. And let's say that these conquistadors are mapping the area, and what you want to do is write down on your map what Indians these people are. And so, using an interpreter, and the Indian that you are asking would answer with one word, we are Get ready for it. Get ready. Wait. We are people. 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 So you write that down. People. And so you move on and you come to another group. Who are you? People. People. You're people? Yes, we are people. We saw people down there. Yes, you did see people down there, but they are not people. We are, we are, you need further explanation, we are the real humans. Now, people, here we go. If you are the real humans, and you are the people. Who are those people down there? Sir, they are not people. You ready? Here it comes. They are crinkle wall. Crinkle wall. Crinkle wall means dog lovers. They're the dog lovers. And so you write down crank a wall, crank a wall. You are the people. 
and then you go up a little bit further and you go to a group of people and you ask them this tribe who are you and they're going to say the people and here you go again there were people down there the people up here who are those people down there those people down there are and here we go again the Kiowa they are the Kiowa the Kiowa they are the ones that paint half their bodies one color and another color there's the people that paint both half the halves of their bodies a different color and then you go to the Kiowa and ask if they are the enemy those who are always against us and that word would be Comanche the point of this is the names of the tribes in 99.9% of the case is not the name that they call themselves they all call themselves people real humans these are the names that were given to the by their enemies by their enemies now the first group we're going to talk about this isn't the case don't know what they actually give them a name and here we go all you Spanish speakers I will give you what I call it in each Texan Quietican the Quietican now because no one has written to get a study guide a lecture guide I'm going to spell it for you and you can see how I mispronounced it in Spanish all right here we go C O A H U I L T E C A Quietican, the Quietican, C-O-A-H-U-I-L-T-E-C-A-N, Quietican. So, Spanish speakers, I know you're giggling. I'm sorry, that's the way we pronounce it in East Texans. For example, we say Nacogdoches, not Nacogdoches. So, these are the Quietican. Now, these were the least advanced. There cannot be any Indian in the United States or anywhere else that was as unadvanced as the Quietican. And one of the reasons is where they lived. Now, where the Quietican lived was, and I'm going to caution you on this. At one time, when I taught, I would hand out a map of Texas, and on that map of Texas were where these Indians lived. I looked on the podcast, I looked on the internet to find a map that had Texas Indians. You can find them. However, they got some tribes in there I've never heard about, but it'd be better than nothing. But I will tell you where the Quatican lived. Okay, they lived in South Texas. Picture from San Antonio down to Victoria, now down into northern Mexico. You're going to go west out to El Paso. That's where they lived. Now, I'm going to ask you if you've ever been there. I'm sure some of you have. If you've been there, raise your hand, unless you're driving, keep both hands on the steering wheel. Raise your hand if you've been down in that area. Now, I don't want to leave anyone out. If you've never been down there, raise your hand. Okay. If you don't know if you've been down there, raise your hand. If you like raising your hand, raise your hand. If you don't like raising your hand, raise your hand. If you don't know whether you like it or not, raise your hand to see. Okay. 
Well, I'm going to talk to the podcasters that have been down there. You're driving in a car. You're on some interstate down there. You've got your wife, you've got your children in the back. And one of the children looks out at the countryside. What's that countryside look like, podcasters? Have you got that pictured? And so the children look out and see that countryside. We'll just call it desert. And ask, did Indians live here? And the father says, well, yes, son, they did. And Junior looks back out and says, how? And the father says, well, son, they knew how to live off the land. And they look back out at that desert. And the Junior says, how did they do that? That's what I'm going to tell you. All right, a couple of other little warning shots here. To begin with, I'm going to tell you some things that you're going to find quite difficult to believe. They're going to be unbelievable to us today. And you're going to want to know why. Why did they do that? Well, we're not in class. I wish we were, but we're not. So you can't raise your hand and ask me. So I'm going to give you the answer. If you're ever on Jeopardy and they ask you anything about why Indians did something, you rang in, form it as a question, and this is it. It's one word. And I want you to remember this throughout all of the talks that I do on the Indian. When I tell you something that is unbelievable and you don't know why they did it, I want you to remember this word. You ready, podcasters? You ready? Survival. I'm going to say it again. Survival. Everything they did was for survival. There's two types of survival. Physical and mental. Everything is survival. So when I tell you something that just seems unbelievable, why did they do that? What is the word that's going to come to your mind? Say it. Survival. Survival. Another thing. Indians did not know how to write. So they leave no written record. All the Cherokee did, but that was long, long, long after the Quadtican. That was a unique exception. We're talking about Indians, 99.9% of them. They did not know how to write. They're not going to leave a written record. I am convinced they did not know how to count either. I don't know how you learn to count if you don't know how to read. I don't think Mama said, well, son, white feather, I'm not going to insist that you learn how to read. I'm not going to insist that you learn how to write. But by golly, you will learn how to do mathematics. I do believe that finally I was convinced that Indians could maybe go up to 10. How many fingers do people have? I think they could do that. Now, the reason I'm saying this is because when I give you numbers, then the way that we get these numbers 
is because someone who could write and could count counted and wrote those numbers down for us. So, remember survival. Remember they don't know how to count. And here's one other thing. Hang on, podcasters. I'm going to tell you some things that may be, how should I put it, a little gross. A little gross. I'll try to keep the grossness to the minimum. But keep those in mind, and I'll remind you in a little bit about them. Now, the Quartican, since they did not know how to write, did not know how to read, nothing to read, nothing to write. How do we know what I'm going to tell you? 98. I'm going to do 98%. What I'm going to tell you comes from someone who lived with them. Did not want to live with them, but he did. And I'm going to tell you about this person. And the reason I'm going to tell you about this person now is because when I did teach in class, and I taught these Indians, and I told them what I just told you, that there was a person among them, and his name was Devaka. Cabeza Devaka, Devaka. The name means, I've been told because I don't speak Spanish, head of the cow or cow's head. Head of the cow or cow's head. It did not mean that he looked like a cow, but his father or one of his ancestors in a battle marked a trail with a skull of a cow, and it was important, and so that's what is called Levaca. Now I'm going to tell you how Levaca got here. Devaka was a conquistador. Remember what I said about conquistadors in the first one? Some people are mean, but they're not tough. Some people are tough, but they're not mean. When they're mean and tough, you have met Mr. Conquistador. And what they're doing in the new world is they're looking for G-O-L-D. They're looking for gold. Everything is gold. Okay. Now, he was with the leader of an expedition by the name of Neveris. And Neveris believed there was gold in Florida. Now, I'm going to talk about Florida later on when we talk about one named Ponce de Leon, but believes in Florida. And so he gets an expedition of about 500 conquistadors. And by the way, podcasters, and I'm going to probably remind you of this, these conquistadors had to finance their expeditions. So he takes off from Cuba, they go to Florida, they land the conquistadors. Here we go. The conquistador, we're going to call them infantry with a little bit of cavalry. And when we get on the conquistadors themselves, I'll tell you what type of weapons they had. And they're going to go into the interior of Florida and look for gold. Well, they got to have supplies. they got to have food. And the ships that had taken them down there, this is the way they're going to do it. The ships will move down along the coastline of Florida, estimate. That day, then they're going to anchor, the conquistadors will come out, they finally meet up, they get the food, and then they go back in. They come back out. They go back in and come back out. Every time they came back out, podcasters, there were fewer conquistadors than what went in. What's happening to them? Indians are killing them. The Indians are killing them. 
every time they went into the interior, they are going to have them killed. They come out, there's fewer and fewer and fewer. Now, while they're doing that, the captain of the ships realized that there were fewer and fewer and fewer, and then here comes a storm. And what they did in a storm was they took off, got out to sea, trimmed the sails, and rode the storm out. The storm lasted. When that storm had come, the conquistadors had not come out of the jungles. They had waited, and they had waited, and they had waited, and they were overdue, they were overdue. They went to the storm, hit them, and then the captain put two and two together, podcasters, and came up with the wrong answer. He said they didn't come out because they're all dead. They're all dead. The Indians were about to kill them. They're all dead, so he decided to head back to Cuba. Well, those conquistadors did come out. They were late, but they came out, and there are no ships. No ships. They waited, and they waited, and they waited, and they realized those ships are not coming. Those ships are gone. We can't go back in the interior. So what they decided to do was this. They built rafts. They're going to float back to Cuba. They got the rafts together. They got the wood. They got them together. They got the... They killed the horses. They used the hides for sale. They got on those rafts and they started heading for Cuba, but they forgot to tell the currents which way they wanted to go. And so they go out into the Gulf of Mexico. Now there were about 250 conquistadors doing this. And those rafts went in every direction. And as they come across the Gulf of Mexico, the rafts are scattered. One of the rafts lands a little island near Galveston, which the vodka called the Isle of Ill Fate. And on that ship, but here we go, podcasters. Here we go. Now I'm going to go on and warn you. If you don't want to hear something gross, then what I want you to do now is to put a hand over each ear and sang a happy song. And then you sang a song, not real long, and when you have a feeling that perhaps what I said is gone, then you could remove the hands from your ear and stop singing, and you would catch up with us, okay? Okay. Squeamish people, you got your hand over your ears, right? You ready? They turned to cannibals. They were eating the Spaniards that had died. It was not a happy trip. This was not a little cruise liner. Oh, people. That's how they made it. And when they looked up. Now, the way I picture this is it's like I've seen movies, and they get ashore, they get ashore, they're all worn out, they're tired, they kind of pass out a little bit, and then... After a while, they come to and they look up, and what they saw would have terrified them. What they saw were a group of Indians that were they to come back today, and you walked around a corner, you're shopping at the mall in a happy mood, and you walk around the corner, and you almost bump into one of these, you probably would have let out a yell.
And these were a group of Indians I'm going to tell you about later on. They were the Crankawall. The Baca, and also Estevan. Estevan is the first black in Texas. He was a Moor slave. And a few others landing. Now, he's going to be with the Crankawall for about two or three years. He escapes, and then he goes to the Quatican. He stays with them about two years, and he escapes. Notice the word, escapes. He went all the way across. He didn't know which way Mexico was. Goes all the way to the Pacific Ocean. He finally makes it down here to Mexico. And that's where I'm going to stop with his travels. I'm going to tell you about that later on. Now, he is the first person that we know of that walked. We podcasters are coin collectors. There is a very valuable commemorative coin that commemorates that trip. Get you a, a red book. It doesn't cost but a few dollars. And what you will see in that red book is a color photograph of every coin that the United States has ever had since we became a United States back after the American Revolution. So, Davakas, the one that's lived with the Crankawall and lived with the Quartican. And when he finally got out and went back to Mexico, he wrote a book. He wrote about what he saw. Podcasters, you can buy that book. You can read that book. I wonder if you could think of anyone that's read that book. Mr. Stroud has read that book. Mr. Stroud read that book. And 98% of what we know about the Quartican comes from what Nabaka saw. Now, with that in mind, we're going to learn about the Quartican. Okay? Now, the name of the Quartican means not people. They're given to them by archaeologists, historians, natives of Coahuila. Here we go. Let me spell that. Natives of Coahuila. C-O-A-H-U-I-L-A. Coahuila. Notice how good I am with that Spanish? Coahuila. Texas, when it finally gets the word Texas, was a department within the state of Coahuila, a Mexican state of Coahuila. Natives of Coahuila. That we don't know what they call themselves. We don't know what the other people did. But no Indian could have been as least advanced with as few things to live on as them living down in South Texas like that. Now, what did they eat? What did they eat? If South Texas, you're riding along, you look out there, you see the desert. What did they eat? One word. Well, not anything. I got to qualify that. Anything. You mean they would eat anything? No, they didn't eat anything. They ate anything or everything that did not kill you. If you eat something and it kills you, you do not eat it again because you are dead. They ate things that did not kill them. All right. What were these things? Anything that did not kill them. Give us a few examples. Okay. Here we go. You ready? Snakes, scorpions, bugs, lizards. You got those down? You just think about it. 
You ready? Well, you, but wait, okay, that makes sense, that makes sense. But what do you eat if you can't find a bug? You ready? Dirt. D-I-R-T. Dirt. They just picked up handfuls of dirt and ate it. I don't think so. But what we're going to do is this. If you go back in time and you find yourself somehow with the quiet chicken, and you go over to one of the little houses that they lived in, little straw houses, they would ask you if you were hungry. And you might say, well, yes, I am a little bit hungry. Well, okay, we're going to fix something up real quickly. And so the lady, the mother, the wife would go out in the back, and there's a little dirt hole. There's no other type of hole they could have had. It had to be a dirt hole. They dug it out, maybe about a dirt hole. And then they take a stick. And archaeologists call this stick a rabbit stick. It's about like a yard stick. And they take that stick, they put those mesquite beans down in that hole, and they start smashing those beans up. And when you're smashing beans up in a dirt hole, what's going to mix with the beans, podcasters? You're going to get the dirt. I call this the beans and dirt recipe. Then you add a little bit of water, get it just the right texture, and you put it in a bowl and you serve the delighted company. Now they will get married. And I have always envisioned that when they got married that their wife would eventually make the beans and dirt. And the husband would eat the beans and dirt that the wife made and the wife would have to ask eventually because he's not saying anything. What do you think of my beans and dirt? And he might very well say, oh, they're delicious, but not like what Mama made. Mama knew how to make those things. She knew just the right amount of dirt, the right amount of water. And when they seasoned them, they had special dirt for that. So they ate beans and dirt. But then there was a delicacy, podcasters. There was a delicacy. And you got there at the right time, and you got this. Okay, here we go. If you don't want to hear something a little bit squeamish, if you're a little bit squeamish, remember what I said, hands over the ear. Sang a happy song. You ready? You ready? The delicacy was fish. And you're saying, what? You mean you had people cover their ears because of fish? I'm not finished with the fish. Catch fish. Lay them out in the South Texas sun. Don't clean them. Leave them there for eight days. Eight days. Well, wait a minute, Mr. Stroud. You said they couldn't count. They can't count. So how do we know they're eight days? Who's watching this? The vodka. He's counting. My gosh, he says. I want to see how long they leave that fish out there. One, two, oh my gosh, eight days. How did the Quartican know? Well, you don't serve fish before it's time. They knew by looking at it that it was time to serve it, so they ate fish that was eight days old. Now, every now and then when I had a class, someone might raise their hand and say, my gosh, my gosh, how did that not kill them? The vodka said they had stomachs like cast iron. 
they were raised on that stuff, beans and dirt. Here's a little bit of fish. Yum, yum, eat them up, eat them up, eat them up. This is how they lived. They lived in small family groups. It was as if they lived in South Texas, and in their mind, they had a little grid area that they lived in. And within that little area, they could move around and look for food, which they did all the time. All right? Something that I bet every podcaster knows the answer to. You're on Jeopardy. We're going to start off with Indians for 20. Indians for 20. You ready? Did Indians believe in land ownership? I could hear you. You all said, no. Unless you believe there's a trick question coming. No. So how could an Indian say, get off of my land? If you don't believe in land ownership, how in the world can that be your land? And this is the way you answer that. Generally speaking, Indians believe that the Great Father, whoever you want to call him, and I'm speaking of the Indians, in his wisdom knew that all the Indians could not live on the same area because of the food supply. So in his wisdom, he assigned them to different areas of the world. And so if you left your assigned area and came over to another assigned area, you have left and come to my land. Like when you're in class. You get to class. You sit down. That's your favorite seat. That's where you want to sit every time. You sit there. Sit there. And then one day you get to class a few minutes late. And someone's sitting in your seat. So you go and politely say, excuse me, but that's my seat. And he says, really? Where's the bill of sale? You got a receipt for it? No. Is that really your desk? Did you buy it and bring it? No. That's the way Indian land was. When you're in that class at that time, that is your seat. That seat was put there for you. That land was put there for these Indians on that one area. If someone comes into that land, they have come into our land. And with the Quartican, anyone that came into the land is an enemy. They are the only Indians that I know of that would fight and kill their people of the same tribe. They made war on fellow Quartican. And what that tells me is how hard it was for them to survive. And as hard as it was for them to survive, the least advanced Indians, they had the decency of doing something that I'm not sure that I've ever read of any other tribe. They would declare war. Oh, you all know about the Japanese attacking Pearl Harbor without telling us first. We still haven't gotten over that one. They would actually declare war. And the way they did that was this. They would be sitting in that nice Quartican moonlight, got that Quartican fire, eating some beans and dirt or perhaps some fish. And one of the women would stand up and she'd look at those warriors and she would say to them, there is a group of fellow Quartikans that have come into our area, and these were the same ones that killed my brother years ago, and you said you were going to avenge them, and you've sat there and you've done absolutely nothing. 
Now, what you need to do is you need to get your weapons, and you need to go there and kill some of those people. And then she would sit down, and another one get up. That reminded me that when these same Guatikans came in and they killed my brother, you too said that you were going to get up, and it, well, how much can a man take? And so finally the warriors get up, they get their weapons, and they get ready to go, but first we got to declare war on them. They sent a Guatikan over to that group. The Guatikan was armed. He had a bow and arrow. He had a war club. He had on war paint. And when the others saw him coming, they knew darn well he was coming to declare war because he looked like a warrior. And then when he got there, he would make ferocious sounds and he would shoot his arrow into the trees, into the trees, and that was a declaration of war. I've always wondered why they didn't kill him. Apparently, it was something they agreed upon. And the way they fought was hit and run, guerrilla warfare. The Vaca said that when they got hit with an arrow, unless it was in a very vital area, they would just pull that arrow out and they would survive. Now, years ago, podcasters, I was in a store somewhere and I saw a magazine about the Old West. And in there was an article written by an army surgeon in the 1870s out on the frontier. And he said in that article that wounds with arrows were not really that critical. And so apparently if you didn't get kit in a, like in the neck or something like that, you could survive it. Here we go, podcasters. When they fought, they killed everybody. There was no such thing as a non-combatant. No collateral damage. Now, if you were on a war party and you only had a few warriors because the war parties had to be small, there weren't many of these people, when they came into an enemy house, be a straw hut or a teepee later on, you kill everybody there. You kill the men, you kill the women, you kill the children, you kill the babies. You kill every one of them. It was a war of extermination. And the reason is that little baby is going to grow up and come after you. Might as well nip it in the bud. Nip it in the bud. The ones they didn't kill, they brought back. The captives were tortured. All right, podcasters, here we go. Cover those ears. Happy, happy, happy song. I want a happy, happy, happy song. You ready? You ready? They were cannibals. Cannibals. Now, they did not cannibalize the captives because they were hungry. All you had to do was reach down and get a handful of dirt. The reason they did this was because they knew what we now know. You are what you eat. You got the strength and the courage of that enemy warrior. You got the strength and the courage of that enemy warrior. That's how they went to war. And they were at war all the time. Now, when I taught the Indians, I always would have a little baby born, and then we'd bring that little boy up, the little boy up, girl, all right, podcasters, here we go. Have you ever heard, it's a man's world? It was a man's world. And they meant it. Now, it did not mean that the fathers did not love their daughters. They did, but what 
What is the key word? Survival. Survival. That when a baby boy was born, when that baby boy grows up and becomes a man, he becomes a warrior. He becomes a hunter. That's survival. With a daughter, grows up, gets married, hopefully has a boy, survival is postponed. So we, being historians and archaeologists, know more about the boys than we do the girls. Now, when I told you what I just did, I'm going to tell you something, and it's going to seem like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't care how many times you say you want your cake and eat it too. Podcasters, that is impossible. You cannot do that. So I'm going to tell you something in a few minutes that's going to counteract what I just told you. Okay, here we go. Now, this all comes from a devaca. When the mother gave birth, first off, the new father went home and went to bed for a week. The woman gave birth and she got up and did all the work she was supposed to do. Well, the man stayed home and slept and took congratulations. Here we go. Hang on, podcasters. Here we go. If one of the children was born with a handicap, that cow was killed on the spot. If for some reason somehow twins were born, one of the twins would be killed instantly. If a girl was born, she was killed. They killed their daughters at birth. Now I know what you're saying, don't pull off the road, don't do that. They couldn't have killed them all. There wouldn't have been any quartican. So what I think, now here's another thing, is writing this down. But what Devaka doesn't always do, he doesn't have follow-up questions. No follow-up questions. Well, I will guarantee you Devaka asked why they did that. Why did they kill their daughters? And the Quartican that did that looked at him like he'd ask a stupid question. We live in family groups. This is extended family. It's time for her to marry. She cannot marry in our group. She has to go to another band. And that band is an enemy. And when she goes to that other band, she's going to have a baby. That baby's going to grow up and come and kill So... We have to better off going and kill them now. Well, of course, they couldn't do it all the time. They went. So what I think, there's no follow-up questions with Devaka on this one. I, what I think is they did that when they were having an extremely difficult time of surviving, just could not feed another mouth. But let's just say that you were born a boy, you were not deformed, you were not handicapped, you were not a twin. So now you're on the road to growing up. Not so fast. Because there were times that the father would wake up and get a club and go over and kill his son. Smash his head in. Boom. Hear me smash? Boom. And someone would ask, why did you do that? And he would say, I dreamed it. Okay, that makes sense. Now, podcasters, I know some dream stories. Indians dreamed. Then something happened. 
I can't say that every tribe believed this, but I have read this of tribes in Texas and Canada that dreams were more real than reality. You dream something, you do it. But now let's go back to the little boy. Not a twin. Not handicapped. Father didn't dream. So now you are growing up. When you got to be, now again, Indians can't count, but I guarantee you that if you see a young man, and you say, young man, how old are you? You don't really have to ask him. You can tell. I mean, you can look at a little boy and say, that little boy, what, what is he, three, four, maybe three or four? Sixteen? Sixteen? Life expectancy was not anywhere near what it is for us today. Not anywhere. As they would say, you got to get on with life. And so, by observers watching a boy was considered a man by the time they were 16. Looked like a man. In our society, there are young men, I've been told, that get confused. They don't know. Let's just say they're 15, 16. Are they a little boy? Are they a young man? Well, one Saturday, Junior is sitting at the kitchen table, finishing his eggs that Mother has made, and he looks up and he says, Mother, I'd like to get the keys to your car and drive on over to Bowser City and get me some beer and go to gambling. Well, the mother would not wait two seconds, and she would say, You can't do that. Why not? You're just a little boy. You can't do that. But what I do want you to do, as soon as you get through with that breakfast that I made you, is I want you to get yourself outside, I want you to get that dangerous lawnmower, and I want you to mow, mow, mow the grass, and when you get through with that, I want you to get that ladder, I want you to get up on that roof, and I want you to get all those leaves out of the gutter, you understand? And then when you get through doing all of that, I want you to go into the garage and move all that heavy stuff from that side, because I can't, and that little boy says, wait a minute, wait a minute. You told me that I was just a young boy, a little boy. You are a young man. It's time for you to start taking some responsibility. Now I'm confused. Am I a young man or a little boy? I got to call Dr. Phil. I don't know. No Indian boy would ever have to do what I just did, podcasters. Because all the tribes that I've read about had something called a rite of passage, R-I-T-E, rite of passage. And this was something that you had to do to become a man. No rite of passage, you're a little boy and you know you're a little boy. Rite of passage, you're a man and you know you're a man, now you're gonna become a warrior, you're gonna become a hunter. Now, when the Vak was with the Quartika, we believe that he observed rites of passage, but did not know what they were. The Quartican didn't tell him. But we believe this is what the rite of passage was. 
Okay. That boy was about 16. They can't count, but you look like you're 16. They got there in the middle of the little camp and everything. And then someone would come up with a flint knife. And they're going to take that flint knife and they're going to cut. Start on the forehead and they're going to cut a line right down the forehead, down the nose. Now, if any of you people are artists, you might want to draw this. And then they're going to take some charcoal and they're going to rub it in that wound. That's a tattoo. Then they're going to take that knife and they're going to cut on the cheeks. And they're going to rub that charcoal in there. And then on the right arm, they're going to cut one circle and they rub it in there. They rub charcoal in there. And on the left, many. Many of them. We believe this is their rite of passage. So what's the thing about these tattoos? They're going to go to war. And when they get in a war, it's going to be hand-to-hand, close up, up close. And what I think these were, this was a form of identification. So that when a warrior was in hand-to-hand battle, and as confusing as battles are, you could identify who this person was. Okay? That's what I think it was. The Vaca's the one that was there. Lived with him for about a year and a half or two years, and then he escaped. The reason I got quiet is because at one time, after Devaka had been with him for a while, oh, and by the way, how did Devaka know how to talk to him? Podcast, as you know, it's called immersion. By living with them, and in many cases, perhaps his life depended on it, he started picking up some of their language. And so he asked them this, Who's your God? Who's the great spirit? Now, the great spirit, that's our words. That's our words. I have never read of an Indian ever said great spirit. Well, wait, well here we go, podcasters. Here we go. Well, I mean, we know what Indians said because someone that could understand their language wrote it down. Now, you people that are bilingual, you know not every word is translated easily that sometimes you have to come up with something that's a little bit close to it. So, somehow he gets across the question, who's your God? Who do you believe in? Here we go. Bad thing. B-A-D-T-H-I-N-G. Bad thing. Lavaca. Have you ever seen bad thing? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Bad things sometimes will come to visit, and he appears in the flame of a fire. And when he says, when he's in the flame of a fire, he steps out, and we are terrified. We're so scared, the hair on our head stands straight up, and we shiver. And some of the quiet taken run to their little houses, and they shiver. And what bad thing would do is he would go over to the little house and he'd pick it up, hold the house up in one hand, and he'd let that house come crashing down. He'd walk over to a quartican and he would take a flint knife and he would cut his belly and pull his insides out. We were terrified of bad thing. And so one would ask bad thing, are you hungry? 
You want something to eat? And Bad Thing said, I never eat anything. Are you thirsty? I never drank water. Where do you live? And Bad Thing said, I will show you. But before Bad Thing left, he walked over to the quiet teakin that he'd cut the bellies open, and he touched them, and they were held up. And we followed Bad Thing. And he went west for many days. And we came to a giant hole in the ground. He said, I live down there. The vodka said he was laughing. And the Quartican were not laughing. And one pulled his shirt up and showed him where Bad Thing had cut him with a flint knife and then had healed him up. And the vodka did not laugh anymore. Quartican disappeared. Did they vanish? Were they killed off? Or did they assimilate with others? We don't know. People, this podcast is something. I buy my computer yesterday, and I thought, well, I'm going to just look up Quiet Tikkun. Looked them up, and by golly, there was some Quiet Tikkun there singing a song. So I went back and I checked. The Quiet Tikkun we're talking about, they're gone. They assimilated. Some of them might have a little blood that were the Quiet Tikkun, but they were not the Quiet Tikkun that we're talking about. They were the least advanced Indians in Texas. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. And what we're going to do on the next one is we're going to learn about the Indians down around Galveston so you can think about them when you go to Splash Day. Thank you, podcasters.